This is your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan, and you are listening to Season 5 of the Floor Rejects Podcast, The Isle of Artemisia. Welcome back to the Floor Rejects Podcast. It is me, your friendly neighborhood author, back with yet another chapter from the Isle of Artemisia. Uh, last week on the floor house, floor house, already messing up, it's a good day. On the Floor Rejects podcast last week, we got chapter two of our story in which uh, Daniel, Crystal, Barrett, and Nick set out on the open water. They were just kind of having a good time. Nick was being a little weird, being a little creepy, a little flirtatious with Crystal and with uh, Barrett as well. And Then we got kind of a weird ending to the chapter where um, there's this this storm and they're trying to like bunker down, hunker down. I think it's hunker down. They're trying to hunker down and brave the storm. And then Nick kind of goes missing. Barrett goes looking for him when the others aren't around. And he finds Nick outside staring at these glowing orbs or glowing eyes within these orbs floating in the sea. And then everything just kind of goes blank. He hits the ground, he can't move, and that's where the chapter ends. So let's get into chapter three of the Floor Rejects podcast, season five. Uh, Chapter three is called Man Down. Chapter three, Man Down. Barrett wakes in open air, his entire body screaming to get up from the hard decking. He pushes his body up with a groan, bewildered at his surroundings. Nick, he calls out, only remembering going to look for the man the night before. No response. He yells the name again, but gets no answer. He shuffles down to the cabin, and when he cracks the door, he finds his two friends still cuddled on their mats, sound asleep. Nick's bed is empty. Barrett grows concerned as he searches the cabin, then the front of the boat again then the back, and finally the water around the boat to no avail. Where the hell is he? Barrett mutters to himself. He returns to the cabin and taps Crystal on the shoulder. She stirs slowly, pulling herself from Daniel who barely registers the movement. What? She asks groggily, wiping her eyes and sniffling. Nick is missing. I I can't find him, Barrett tells her, and she looks at him confused. He's probably just swimming or something she says, unsure why she was awoken for something so menial. No, he's nowhere. I've looked everywhere, Barrett says, and he has a strange memory flashed in the back of his mind. He remembers the sound of wet slapping on the deck. I think there were other people here last night, Chris, Barrett says, and Crystal sits up, now more alert. Okay, maybe he needed something for the boat. She was a person who would draw every rational conclusion before jumping to worst-case scenarios. Barrett was nothing like that. No, I swear. I remember him sitting outside last night and then... nothing. I woke up outside, but he was gone, Barrett explains. So then maybe he called a friend to come get him and he's coming back, she says. But Barrett shakes his head, reminding her that Nick had admitted to not having a phone the day before. Crystal, this is bad. Barrett is scared now, watching Crystal's eyes grow wider as she too has the realization that they may be stuck. Okay, okay, so we need to find him. He, he could still be out there, Crystal reasons. 
What? Daniel asks as he rolls over to peek out at them through slitted lids. Crystal fills him in, and after the same reasoning she went through, he too was sitting at attention, eyes wide. So we take the boat back to shore. It can't be that hard, Daniel says, and he bolts out the cabin door. Barrett follows and finds his friend pulling at the engine start rope. The engine putters and dies over and over again, and Daniel, not being mechanically inclined, curses and eventually flops down on the edge of it, sweating and heaving. Barrett goes to him. We could raise the sails, Daniel, he suggests, and Daniel laughs. Why didn't I think of that? He asks and looks at the deflated sail resting on the pile on the top of the cabin. He goes to the anchor crank and hoists it up. You first. I'm already tired, Daniel says. And Barrett sets out to figure how to get the rough canvas back up into the air. He pulls at ropes, cranks every pulley he can find, but only with the last rope he picks up does he find salvation. The heavy fabric slowly begins to slide up the mast, Barrett eventually employing Daniel to pull behind him, and when the rope is tied off, they high-five in excitement. The boat lurches as a gust of wind catches them and swings them around, but a new fear strikes Barrett. Where were they headed? Pull it down! Untie it! He shouts, struggling at the knots as the boat swiftly clips through the smooth sea. Why? Daniel questions above the din of the waves. We have no idea where we're going. What if he's coming back and we just don't know it? Barrett was forever paranoid about every possible situation, but this makes sense to Daniel, and so they let the sail fall back to the boat, hoping they hadn't moved too far. So where the hell is he? When did you see him last? Daniel shouts in frustration, the potential of their situation falling on his shoulders all at once. I don't know, Dan, but I do know that he was out here during the night, Barrett says. Then a thought hits him. Daniel, did you come out here after I did? Barrett asks. No. I was asleep before you guys even left. Why? He has a hard edge in his voice. No reason. Just thought you might have seen him, Barrett says, but he can still feel the memory in the back of his mind of feet walking past him as he lay on the deck. He suspected his friend had something to do with Nick disappearing. It was the only thing that made sense, and he'd been too obvious, and Daniel was on to his suspicion. Well, I didn't. Didn't see him, Daniel says, and in a fit he storms off into the cabin just as Crystal comes out squinting into the morning light. What happened? she asks, and Barrett shrugs, not wanting to stir up any more frustration or doubt. The boat rocks and Crystal sits down over the edge of the boat, feet dangling over into the sparkling blue water. This is really bad, Bear, she says, leaning her head against the railing. I know, but what do we do? he asks. Crystal sighs, thinking for a minute before speaking. I guess we give it the day and pray we can find our way back if he doesn't show up, she says, and Barrett groans knowing there wasn't enough food and water to maintain comfortability. I guess you're right, but I really don't want to starve out here, Barrett says, and Crystal lets out a small laugh. It's one day, Barrett, she says, and he nods. He just hopes that Nico shows up. He wasn't really in the mood to sail blindly in a random direction in hopes that they could find their way back. He settles in the shade from the cabin. He can hear that Daniel has gone back to sleep in the cabin and is snoring. Crystal eventually joins him in the cool, darker overhang. Where do you think he is? She asks, and Barrett shakes his head. He remembers the flashes of his dream or what he thought was a dream. He concentrated on remembering it, on trying to focus on the sounds and sights he had in his mind, thinking that maybe he wasn't dreaming when he saw Nick out last night. I'm going to hope he comes back and enjoy my time out here if I can she says, ever the optimist. Then she stands and strips down to her bathing suit. Daniel, 
she calls before jumping into the water. After a few minutes of her quietly splashing, he emerges from the cabin. Barrett tries to give him a friendly look, but the man still has a hard edge to his face. Did she call me? He asks flatly. Barrett nods, jerking his head towards the water. Dude, I'm going to say this one time and hopefully we can squash this. I don't know where Nick is, Daniel says as he pulls his shirt over his head. I know, I know, I just don't know what happened to him. I wouldn't think he would leave us out here alone, Barrett says, and Daniel huffs. Well, I don't either, he says, and then leaps over the railing, splashing down to the laughs and giggles from Crystal below. Barrett lay back on the deck, closing his eyes and letting the sun warm him. He can feel his body vibrating with anxiety. He didn't have any pills, and he knew Nick wasn't coming back. He wasn't sure how, but he knew the man was gone somewhere he wasn't returning from. He could feel it. The sun lulled him, though, and after a while he falls asleep, his mind swirling as the boat rolls from side to side. The sound of his friends below was enough to keep him from ripping his clothes off and attempting to swim to shore. When he wakes up, the sun is behind the boat and he's cooling off. He leans up to find Daniel and Crystal laid out on the edge of the boat. Daniel has a hat over his face and small snores come from underneath it. Guys, guys, he hisses, and his friends stir, looking at him with annoyance. Is he back? Barrett asks. No, Crystal says, a strange lilt to her voice, almost like she was daydreaming. Daniel looks at her crossly. We would have woken you up, man, Daniel says, putting his hat back on his face and trying to sleep some more. Barrett stands, looking to the back of the boat in hopes of spotting rescue, but there is no land, no boats or people in sight. He climbs up on the roof of the cabin, and he looks at the floor to pull himself up. He sees something strange. He examines the spot on the roof closer and finds a faint handprint on the white plastic surface. It appears that there was a slightly oily print on the side of the cabin, and as he looks closely at the roof, he sees another, and another, and another until he can't count the number of strange marks. The residue is clear and slightly shinier than the surface of the roof, reminding Barrett of paths that snails leave behind on the sidewalk in the summer. The edges of the handprints were opalescent, the only way he could really make them out. He looks at them for a long while, a vague sense of dread setting in as he remembers the sound of sickly, wet hands slapping the boat. Crystal, he yells, frightening himself more and more by the minute. After a few minutes of light grumbling, she pops her head over the edge of the roof. What? she asks. Look, look at the roof. Look at the handprints, he yelps, his voice drawing higher and higher as fear begins to overtake him. Huh? she says, staring intently at it, which was still glaring with late afternoon sun. There are handprints on it. They're all shiny and oily, he says, and she squints, running her fingers over the surface. I don't really see anything, she says confusedly. Barrett points to one he can prominently see. Look! He's so intent on showing her that he fails to realize that he missed the edge of the roof and slips, falling and smashing his head on the deck below. Immediately, he's knocked out, his mind blacked out, he doesn't feel or think anything for a long time as he lays on deck, completely unaware as his friends talk to him, try and rouse him, slap him, and finally drag him into the cabin. After hours of painless, dreamless unconsciousness, he wakes up. His head throbs and he reaches back, feeling a lump forming on it. It's dark now. Night has fallen. He groans, standing with wobbly legs and looks around the cabin. Daniel's asleep, propped up against the wall next to him. He doesn't wake him, remembering how upset he was with him. He instead looks around for Crystal, but doesn't see her. He ventures carefully out on the deck, and he finds her sitting, legs dangling over the edge of the boat against the railing. Chris? 
he whispers. She doesn't turn. He stands next to her, tapping her shoulder. Slowly, she looks at him. Don't you see them? Hear them? She asks, her eyes wide in wonder. See what? He asks her, and she points out to the water. He looks out, waiting for his eyes to adjust to the pitch black. Slowly, the floating, glowing orbs begin to appear in front of him. He feels the probe of a forgotten memory at the back of his mind, and he puts a hand around Crystal's upper arm. Come on. I don't know what they are, but I don't like them, he says, a gut feeling telling him that they needed to hide. He begins hearing the wet slapping he could remember at the back of the boat, and when he turns, his vision swims. He sees the hands slapping at the deck, oily, shadowy bodies beginning to climb aboard. He hits his knees hard as his center of gravity disappears. He puts his hands on the floor, trying to crawl towards Crystal as nausea takes over his body, and slowly he loses momentum and falls face first onto the wood planks. His face is turned to Crystal's back, and to his horror she turns and smiles at him, a creepy, hypnotized smile. Then she puts her hands up like she was on a roller coaster, and her body slides off the deck with a small splash. He can't even muster the strength to reach out before his eyes shut and he's out cold again. Let's make this quick, girlies, because my foot's asleep. This chapter, I think, is a pretty good one. It's not quite as long as our first couple of chapters. We get a little bit of a break there. It's, it's a little more succinct. Um, and I think I did a good job in painting the scary imagery at the end of the chapter. This kind of frightening, oily, inhuman bodies climbing up on the deck, that's frightening. That's a little bit scary. Um, and I think I did a pretty good job at making it seem scary. I know it's not as scary having someone with a lisp and gay voice read it to you, but I think it still kind of does the job. I think it's still a little bit frightening. Um, what I was talking about last week, I don't know if you remember, but I was talking about how I kind of needed to do a little more setup and the setup of Nick disappearing is what I was talking about. I needed to do a little more uh, set up as far as making it make sense that Barrett would suspect Daniel of doing something to Nick, that he would think that Nick was too flirty or that he was like coming on to Crystal or being so inappropriate that he would do something to Nick. Now, I won't say that I did a bad job because I do think when you're in a scenario like waking up in the middle of the ocean with nobody there to pilot your boat, you kind of jump to insane scenarios pretty quick. So I will say that. I do think that um, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Barrett would kind of jump to that conclusion right away. But I do think that when I go back and revise the story, I'll add in some more flirtation, some more outright flirtation to chapter two and chapter one even um, to kind of annoy Daniel, annoy him and piss him off enough. Maybe there will be a confrontation between Daniel and, and Nick so that it makes a lot of sense why Barrett would suspect his friend. Now, Barrett's also someone with extreme anxiety and like jumps to conclusions at the drop of a hat. So it does kind of still make sense that he would think, well, this person disappeared. They're an experienced sailor and probably swimmer, it seems like. So something must have happened to them. Someone must have done something to them. And all he remembers is at first seeing someone walking past him on deck. So he can assume that somebody did something to Nick. 
that's what I think needed a little bit more fine-tuning and I think if I was like a full-time author and I spent my days writing I'd be able to fine-tune it a little bit better but as it stands I still think it's it's okay um, something else I think that I did pretty well with this chapter is the pacing you don't want to spend say you're reading a chapter you don't want to spend 20 minutes reading a chapter that could have been 10 minutes long and I think this is a good example of pacing the day out. They don't have much food. They don't have much water. We don't focus on that. We just focus on Barrett kind of doing his best to cope with his situation. And that means him losing time, him falling asleep, him napping, him slipping and falling and hitting his head and losing all this time. I think it's kind of a good way to move the chapter along, move the story along without like wasting, wasting the reader's time, wasting the consumer's time. Um, and so I think I did that well. What I do think is a little bit, not clunky, but something I would, I might change in the future, is Barrett falling and hitting his head. What I will say is I think it's good enough right now for a rough draft. Again, if this was a finished novel that had gone through 17 revisions and had a bunch of editors, maybe it's different. But right now, it's a team of one and a half. So... (laughs) I I do the best that I can. I I think Barrett falling and hitting his head is a good plot point, but I I feel like if it were me and my friend had fallen and hit their head, I wouldn't just be sitting in the middle of the ocean waiting for them to wake up. I would be doing anything I can to get us towards land, even if it's risky, you know, because he's not waking up. He hit his head. He passed out and they all just fall asleep around him. But maybe that speaks to the kind of carelessness of his friends that they're just like, oh, he'll wake up, it's whatever. It also speaks to his anxiety. He's so much their opposite that, and because he's kind of a characterization of me, I would be so anxious that I would be rushing my friends anywhere. Even if I was going further out to sea, I'd be trying to find someone. Whereas they're like, oh, he'll wake up when he wakes up, just leave him where he is, you know? so I think, I think those are some things I did well and some things that I could try and work on. Um, wanted to chat with you guys for a minute. We haven't just chatted in a while. And to be fair, this is my podcast. So I guess I can if I want. That's pretty much all I think we'll get from the story today. So if you're just here for the story and the, the consumption of what I did well, what I did poorly, I'll see you later. Let me know at thefloorrejects at gmail.com or at floorrejects on Twitter what you did or didn't like about this chapter, what you think I could do better, what you think I did well. I would love for some people to follow me because right now I think I have three followers and one of them is my regular Twitter account and the other one I think is my friend and then I have a third. So I would love if, and whoever that third is, thank you. I would love if some people came over. Even if you don't follow me, just let me know what you do and don't like. I would love that. Um, But I wanted to catch up with you guys for a minute. What have I been doing? Working, working, uh, applying for new jobs left and right, doing my best to find a new job. Um, Been watching TV. Have you guys watched Kim's Convenience? Oh my God, if you haven't watched it, stop what you're doing right now and go watch Kim's Convenience. It's on Netflix if you're in the U.S. I don't know where it is if you're everywhere else. It's fucking hilarious. It's so funny. It's so good. I think it's fantastic. I've been re-watching The Good Place, which is, 
interesting. Um, it's not as funny as Kim's Convenience, but it's a good like ice icebreaker. It's a good like breakup between a lot of comedy that's not so serious and then comedy that is a little more you know down to earth. It's it's fun. Um, what else is going on? Still working on my Etsy store. Still working on my books. Um, working on editing Drapple. Look at this. Wait till you see this. If you're just listening, you won't be able to see this. But so I printed out Drabble. I printed out the whole thing, and just look at all this, all these notes that I've got. That I've got things that I need to address or change or add or subtract or whatever. I got a lot to do there, but I'm gonna wait till my partner, because I'm gay, my partner is done editing it, and then I'm going to start going through it and maybe give it a title, a real title, and maybe publish it. Why not? It doesn't cost anything to publish it. Um, that reminds me, We Just Call It Love is still on Amazon. It's still on the Kindle bookstore, so you can find it wherever you want. Um, and I think that's it. I just wanted to catch up, give you some recommendations. It. Kim's Convenience is really funny. If you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend watching it. I think it's really funny. And it's kind of like a tearjerker. Like, you really like these characters from the start. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to chat, but I'm starting to realize it's very hot in here because I have to turn off my AC. So I'm burning up like a Jonas Brothers song in the mid-2000s. So I'm going to go. But as always, I appreciate you listening or watching. However you're giving me a platform in your life, I appreciate it. I'll be back next week with another chapter of The Isle of Artemisia. But I've been your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.